Hey, it's me, Elise, the host of Chart of Fortune. I just wanted to drop in and say, hey, okay, this is starting to sound very Instagram influencer, but just go with it. Um, You probably noticed that this week's episode is a re-release. Now, before you get too sad, I just want you to know, I don't think this is going to be a regular thing. I just need to take a little bit of a step back this week. Real talk, everything is so busy, and I definitely don't want to disappoint you, and it felt weird to not release anything, so I'm going to do this for this week. Real talk also, I totally wish I was just home and not living this busy, chaotic life that I don't enjoy Um, and just watching reality TV instead. Like I just finished The Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, started this week, still haven't seen it, haven't finished FBoy Island, haven't been working on Love Island. My heart is breaking, okay? Like I watched The Bachelorette this season. I've been dying for Bachelor in Paradise. It is like a ritual in our home, okay? This is summertime. It's Bachelor in Paradise time. But in the meantime, as a nice thing for my husband, I agreed to watch this documentary multi-part series when I was just a little hungover called, uh, it was like about dictators, the dictator's handbook. I agreed to watch it because Peter Dinklage narrates it. It's very interesting. And it's actually based on a book. But the whole thing about it is it like studies how dictators behave. And I have to tell you that even in my hungover state, barely chomping on a McDonald's fry, there were some very real parallels between The Bachelorette and the show about dictators, because a huge issue with a dictator, like if you ever going to be a dictator, please don't, is that you have to keep people like scared of you. You know, the Michael Scott, I want people to fear how much they love me. Maybe not. And being a dictator means that those people who you want to be afraid of you, but maybe also love you, cannot anticipate your next move. Because then if they know what you're up to, they can like, you know, flip it around and you could be out of power. They could overthrow you. This is what happened in The Bachelorette. Like, I don't know if you've watched it. There are no spoilers here. But in this recent season, Katie was like, no, I need to have some dictator qualities, okay? She made her con- contestants eat, like, vast quantities of Twinkies and I think chili in a short amount of time to prove their love. She made them paint flowers that look like vaginas in a painting class. And each week, like every Bachelor and Bachelor before, this is some very dictator move. She separates the group like one by one and then ask each person probing questions about their allegiance to her like where are they at on this journey how do they really feel aren't they team katie there is no other team the only other team is getting sent home in a white unmarked van she even made one of the final three men share his pancakes with her even though she had her own short stack to eat from they were identical she then dangled the bottle of maple syrup in front of him in a menacing and playful gesture that i think was meant to evoke his childhood home in canada But we cannot say for sure that she was not trying to hypnotize him into revealing deep truths or childhood traumas. And also, this is the other thing. I need to know if this person that I'm referencing, who if you've seen the season, you know, but I'm trying to not have spoilers. If I'm the only person on earth who thinks Blake looks like a weird Canadian version of John Travolta, like more plaid, less tragic death in the immediate family, more facial hair, less movie musicals. I know a lot of people, you know, want to believe in the magic of finding love on television, and they totally respect their water sign heavy charts, but I am not one of them. I like to watch reality television because I feel like there is no greater insight into the modern American psyche than watch how people behave, especially people who are intoxicated on camera. 
And I also love dissecting the edits that people get. The idea that everyone gets portrayed as a heightened or more intense or more emotional version of themselves. So I'm totally looking forward to Bachelor in Paradise. I'm looking forward to a moment where I can be back with new episodes and also have watched a lot of reality TV. But in the meantime, I hope you are staying safe, you are staying cool, and that you enjoy this re-release of an episode all about the astrology of The Bachelor. Okay, I love you. I'll see you on Friday for a Rich Girls episode. It's the last episode where I'm going to review an episode that was on TV. I'm really excited about it. I'll see you then. All my love. Bye. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and you're listening to the most dramatic episode ever. Will you accept this rose as we explore the sordid and romantic world of The Bachelor and Bachelorette? Or don't accept the rose. I mean, that's cool too. This is a podcast. I'm not literally handing out magnetic boutonnieres. I'm actually sitting in my closet recording this episode and deeply questioning my choice to hold on to ballet flats in 2020. But email me if you'd like my dying orchid plant, because just like the rest of us in 2020, she's given up on living. Now, there's no way to talk about the show without first addressing the real issues of representation and the fact that the show lacks a diverse cast and production crew, or the fact that this show only shows highly edited and manipulative heteronormative love stories between men and women who are all able-bodied and attractive, and honestly kind of dumb. The Bachelor and subsequent iterations don't reflect the reality of finding love in this truly terrible world, and yet it continues to be a top-rated show. It could be because many people, and not just me, frequently lose the remote and are forced to watch bits and pieces of this season. Maybe it's because we like to have something to talk about with our coworkers when we were living in a pre-COVID existence. Or maybe it's because as Americans, whenever we get dangerously close to having our pop culture mirror our actual populations and experience, we start thinking that our civil duty is instead to panic and center white people as the dominant culture experience. If you don't believe me, how do you explain the real housewives of Salt Lake City coming out? I mean, really? But whatever the reason The Bachelor and Bachelorette is going strong, it's been doing that for 18 years, beginning in 2002. I'm going to simplify for a moment and say that 2002 was a different time. There was no DVR, and at least at my house, there was no TiVo. If you wanted to watch a show and you needed a bathroom break, a chance to make popcorn, grab a beverage of your choosing, you had to have time management skills, friends, like worthy of a damn resume. I mean, how do you think I've ever found gainful employment as an elder millennial? My resume says, effectively ran through hallways and peed quickly like I was being followed by a spree killer. Make it easy. That's what HR is looking for. Okay, it wasn't enough to to have a plan for those commercial breaks because you also needed to be able to execute on the damn plan. You were in some a sort of flow state, racing through the kitchen, scooping moose tracks ice cream into bowls or skinny cow ice cream sandwiches, grabbing glasses of water, waiting for the moment that always happens. Your family member, positioned at the TV, shouted through the house, three 
dreaded words. It's back on with all of the urgency a capable presidential administration would handle a global pandemic. Ask me how I know. And at those moments, the, the, and at the moment those words were uttered, your legs carried you back to the living room and couch, balancing snacks and drinks, full arms, clear eyes, can't pause or back the show up. At worst, you'd whisper awkwardly to your sibling or parent to confirm the details missed by being a few seconds late to the show. And sometimes you receive a linear explanation allowing you to understand the nuances of the 25 seconds of programming you missed. Like someone would just acknowledge that they started the show with the season lead walking alone on a beach or a gentrified urban area, pondering their own existence, and more importantly, why they are still single. Or the family member was pretending to pay attention, and they reference castmates only by less than accurate physical descriptors from obscure cultural references while reiterating plot points you already know. An example might be, okay, so it's like almost rose ceremony time, and you see that blonde, yeah, the one with the French pedicure. Now, again, this was a different time. And she's like talking about how mad she is at that brunette who looks like Sally Field and beyond the Poseidon adventure. And it's only because she that brunette's been pulling the bachelor away from her. I mean, like, mom, are we really calling Chris Harrison a brunette? He doesn't have Sally's warmth and his hair doesn't have that much bounce in body. End of story. But I digress. Our story begins on March 25th, 2002 at 9 p.m. with Los Angeles as the birthplace. This is the day that the first episode of The Bachelor aired. Now, I did look and I was not able to find filming dates for the original seasons, but the good news is is that we do know the exact time that this show aired in the United States, and that means we can use houses in the birth chart. There's some charts in this house. There's some charts in this house. Wait, no, there are houses in this chart. In this case, WAP stands for White, Awkward, and Pervy, because I gotta say the premier Bachelor lead, Alex, is a weird dude. But the birth chart for the show has their sun in five degrees of Aries, their ascendant or rising sign in 11 degrees of Scorpio, and their moon in 28 degrees of Leo. And as you know from my constant whining, we don't typically have houses. I won't discuss every placement in this chart, but I'm going to go through a few right now. First and foremost, we have to talk about that Scorpio ascendant. Now your sun sign, it talks a lot about your personality and who you are on, you really are, but your rising is how people see you. I mean, take me, I'm a Libra rising. And then once I wear an on-trend purple gray matte lip in fall of 2019. And I was accused of a, of being a Scorpio by a well-meaning barista. Like it's my fault. I have a prominent Pluto placement. It's not. Suffering is all around us. If someone has ever wrongly guessed your sun sign, they might actually be picking up on your ascendant sign. This placement is only determined by what time of day you were born. If you're born around daybreak, your ascendant and sun sign are going to be the same sign. In this case, an airy sun is giving the chart holder a natural zest, a natural energy, and they're going to have some warmth. They are a fire sign. But a Scorpio rising gives us some intensity that an airy sun on its own wouldn't. This is also going to be someone who's more mysterious or hard to read. They might be a little less boisterous than an Aries that has a different rising sign. We talked a lot about Scorpio sun placements in the Clueless episode, but having Scorpio rising really fits the show to me. Uh, This show is very close-lipped about their process. They require contestants to sign NDAs that can't speak poorly of the process. It's a lot. Scorpio and Aries also really value loyalty, and Bachelor Nation is always quick to give more and more opportunities to people who say positive things about their time on the show and their fellow cast members. I mean, how many people from Bachelor Nation have podcasts and sponsored, you know, 
things on their Instagram. How many of them are on Dancing with the Stars? It's also interesting to me that each sign rules different body parts. Aries, of course, is the ram and they rule the head. But Scorpio rules your genitals, which totally fits a dating show involving way too many hot tubs and an overuse of the word journey. And that is the flat tummy tea, babe. We also see two planets in the fourth house, which rules home and early relationships. Here, we're seeing Uranus in 27 degrees of Aquarius and Neptune in 10 degrees of Aquarius. And they're both in this house because we are using whole sign houses. Uranus is especially powerful here because it's in its home sign of Aquarius. So it has a lot of energy to work with. I think we see themes uh, around the less than conventional housing through the fact that the show goes all over the world. The fourth house, you know, home and then uh, Uranus, the unexpected. So that constant move um, is part of that. I also think we see some fourth house Neptune themes and it's really this illusory home life. It's weird that there are a bunch of, you know, 20 and 30 somethings all living together. That's kind of unnatural and illusory. And I also think it's really the time honored tradition on the show of having the parents of the final four contestants meet the lead in the hometown episodes. It feels very Neptune and Uranus coming together, considering part of this, this portion of the show always feels really scripted to me, that Neptunian illusion of being real. And it always leads to some Uranus style conflict. One moment, the siblings or grandma are sipping Chardonnay like it's nothing. And the next moment, they're throwing shade and maybe even hands. We also see some of these themes play out when the Leeds family at the very end of the show meet the final two contestants. And it's at this moment that I'm thinking of Peter's mom, Barbara. Bad bitch with a bowl cut. That airy son is in the sixth house because that is six signs after Scorpio. See what we're doing there? And that house is about daily tasks, routine, work, but not career, and also the health of the individual. Mars is actually really happy in the sixth house because Mars is a really vibrant, healthy planet, and the sixth house is about health, so they kind of connect nicely. And this placement speaks to being maybe well-organized, healthy, or vibrant, and someone maybe who also enjoys routine and some level of repetition allows them to be a little more successful than maybe someone who has a different placement in the sixth house. The show is admittedly formulaic because honestly, how often can we have a two-on-one date that leads to a fight between the two contestants or a group date involving a sport or a tearful car ride home where the contestant limits how they always get told how wonderful they are, but like no one ever wants to start a serious relationship with them. It's likely no surprise that Mike Fleiss, the producer of the show, is also an Aries because he is the, the, the organizer of all of these routines. We also cannot discuss a show that is about finding love and wanting a relationship without ever talking about the seventh house. And we're going to do that now. The seventh house, if you are keeping score at home, is all about partnership. This chart has Mars in 17 degrees of Taurus in this house. So I know we we just talked about Mars, but Aries is ruled by Mars. So that's why that sixth house placement has a lot of, of energy to it. Mars in the seventh house in Taurus is really interesting. To me, this is about drama in the season. Mars is the god of war. So obviously fighting is going to be part of a seventh house uh, dynamic. And also because it's Taurus, I feel like it's important to note that Mars loves fighting, but they also like making up if you can catch my drift here. Taurus Mars is about being stubborn as hell. A Taurus Mars is going to be equal parts sensual and stubborn. They're going to love a stroll through the streets in a faraway city and a beautiful candlelit dinner with wonderful food. 
the latter of which never actually happens on The Bachelor. But if you get on a Taurus Mars bad side, they are not budging. They are going to dig their heels in and tell you, hell no. What's interesting to note about the seventh house, and this is for any chart you ever look at, including yours, whatever your ascendant sign is, the seventh house is always going to be in opposition to your ascendant. In this case, Scorpio is the opposite polarity, so it's the opposite sign of Taurus, and that's how we get this seventh house Taurus when you use whole signs. So whatever you come off as with people, you're probably looking for something different in your relationships. That's the whole opposites attract thing, but in astrology terms. There's a tension here, right, in the Scorpio coming off mysterious and dramatic, but then seeking connections that are more grounding and loving. But Mars here tells us that there's still that element of drama. It's also interesting, too, because the ascendant is Scorpio and in uh, really traditional astrology that Mars was the ruling planet for Scorpio because we hadn't discovered Pluto yet. Finally, we want to talk about the ninth house. This house is associated with Sagittarius if you connect signs and houses. I don't like to do that all the time, but there are themes of really global travel here. And we see Jupiter in six degrees of Cancer. I think it's interesting because, of course, in every season of The Bachelor or Bachelorette, we, they spend about a third of the time that they are on the show traveling around the world and making up a new home in whatever city they go to. And I think it's also interesting to me that our, there are similar Bachelor-style shows in 37 other countries, um, which is pretty remarkable. And there are 12 houses in every birth chart, but the last house placement that I'm going to talk about in the 2002 Bachelor chart, which is going to be our baseline here, is the 10th house. And we've talked about this in other episodes, but it's connected to career and public persona. The Bachelor has their moon here, and that's in 28 degrees of Leo, and it's in this house. Leo moons, I love them. I know them. They love deeply. They especially love their friends and family. They are very, very loyal. They always want to help the people that they care about. But they do share the sensitivity of a Leo son. And for Leo moons, being rejected or hurt is a really deep wound. And for them, I think they can process it with a level of drama that other people might, and they might respond to it with a level of drama that other moon signs might not have. They have that intensity of a Leo sun, but they also sometimes maybe aren't as capable or aren't as naturally able to show the warmth of a Leo sun. Um, Leo moons, Leo is ruled by the sun, but it being in a moon sign means that Leo is not as comfortable in that placement. It doesn't know as much what it should be doing. This feeling of intensity, though, that I think really is denoted in a Leo moon, it's how the show markets itself, and it's further strengthened by this moon-Uranus opposition. We talked about Uranus. It's in the fourth house in Aquarius, and it's opposing the moon. And that, to me, suggests that someone has really intense feelings, and also that these feelings can run kind of in unexpected ways. And if we're going to talk about unexpected feelings, we have to move to the first event chart of the episode. And the first event that I want to talk about, outside of the 2002 natal chart, which is our baseline, is the season finale of season 11. Brad Womack is The Bachelor. I know what you're thinking. I feel like that was later, but he's actually The Bachelor for two seasons. They're not back to back. In this season finale, in season 11, he doesn't pick either contestant, which stuns America and anyone who probably doesn't know Brad Womack personally. 
For this chart, I used the date the finale aired, which was November 19th, 2007 at 10 p.m. What's interesting is this finale was taped at the South Africa Resort um, that they used. It's like near a game and wildlife preserve. And so I used the location as a nearby area, which is called Kruger National Park. So in 2007, starting from 2002, Saturn has moved from Gemini to Virgo. And Saturn in Virgo is lighting up the 12th house in the 2002 natal chart. This natal chart has no planets or asteroids. The 2002 chart has nothing in Virgo. So this Saturn is squaring off with their natal Saturn. And it speaks to tensions that this chart holder is feeling, right? 2002 is like, whoa, this is intense. They're old enough, right? This five years down the line that these processes and structures have been raised with, they maybe feel tension around them the way like children who are in elementary school sometimes get some level of rebellion when they see a little bit more about the world. The 12th house also rules hidden places, right? So sometimes we talk about places of confinement, which could be jails or hospitals. And in this case, I think this is talking about the structure of the show because it's it's very structured. People can only go and do certain things. And that structure possibly acts as something that is coming into tension with this Saturn in a different sign. Brad is not going to follow the typical protocol here in this, you know, Saturn square Saturn situation. He is rebelling against the existing structure he is in. We also see that the 2007 chart has their sun in 27 degrees of Scorpio. So it's not making a real exact deal with the rising sign in the 2002 chart, but what it is doing is forming an exact square to the 2002 chart's Neptune, which is in 27 degrees of Aquarius. So it's an exact square. This feels like the 2007 chart here is really pushing that sense of identity, sun, against the planet of imagination and fantasy. We always talk about how nebulous Neptune is. Um, Brad ultimately picks to do what he wants to do instead of living out the romantic fantasy that the show constantly pushes, which would be getting engaged to someone that he's known for a few weeks. Now, I know what you're thinking, and it might be that you think I'm defending Brad. And let me assure you I'm not, because it might also be worth noting that the moon in the 2007 chart, so when this 2007 Bradwell Mac finale airs, it's in 20 degrees of Pisces. Very loving Pisces moon. But it's highlighting the fifth house of the 2002 chart because that's where Pisces is in it's five signs away from Scorpio. I think it's clear from the season finale, if you've watched it, you can find it on YouTube, that Brad wasn't really finding seventh house relationships that maybe preclude depth and intimacy and connection, but instead fifth house style relationships, which might be a creative connection. But since I know Brad, it was more kind of a casual sex kind of relationship. So there's that. Now, the 2007 sun chart has their ascendant 27 degrees of Scorpio, and it's forming an inside conjunction with that Scorpio ascendant. So it's not exact. We, we did mention that. This is hitting that first house of the bachelor natal chart. And this is less strong maybe than the other chart things that I've mentioned, but it just goes to say that this 2007 finale is highlighting what people think about the show. I think the casual viewer of The Bachelor maybe didn't really care about the show, but they probably heard from coworkers or people.com. There was this wild ending. The bachelors always pick somebody and this time he didn't. I think diehard fans had yet to be exploited by the ridiculous tagline of most dramatic season ever and probably had their box wide lane brains absolutely blown when he's told either girl, I'm not feeling it. 
I mean, how does a show that glorifies and exploits romance, physical connections, not end in a committed relationship between two people in an engagement? How, Mike Fleiss? How, Chris Harrison? I mean, that's clearly a hypothetical question here. We, we know why that wouldn't end in a relationship. The second event I want to discuss is on May 22nd, 2017, so jumping a decade later. And I'm going to use a 9 p.m. because it's the airtime and as the birth time in Los Angeles and the birth city. And this date is the premiere date for Rachel Lindsay, who is the first black bachelorette. It was the airing of her first episode of her season. In case you were keeping track at home, let me remind you, it took the Bachelor franchise one year to air the first season of The Bachelor featuring Trista, who was a runner-up on the first season of The Bachelor. That happened in 2003, so one year. But it took them another 14 years after that to have a woman of color as the lead, as The Bachelorette. I mean, like, even Saturn feels like that took a while. And you know Saturn. There's nothing they won't slow down. In fact, Saturn was in nine degrees of Gemini when we're looking at this 2002 chart. And the sun sign in Rachel's season is in two degrees of Gemini. So they're within seven degrees. That is a conjunction. I think the stars are agreeing here. This is a long time coming because Saturn slows things down and it's meeting up with the sun in the 2017 chart. You know ABC producers waited a hot minute to cast a black lead. This Gemini sun is also lighting up that eighth house of the 2002 chart. And the eighth house is kind of mystical. It, it gets a bad rap, though, because it does rule magic. It rules inheritance. But most of the people are freaked out because it does rule death or loss. I get it. It's really easy to be upset by that. But let's remember, not all deaths are bad. Sometimes things end, like having only white leads on a show. I don't think that's something to mourn. Now, we're also going to look at something which is super interesting, and that is in the 2002 Bachelor chart, the North Node, sometimes it's called a destiny point, but we're just going to say North Node because that is a more typical usage, is in 21 degrees of Gemini. And this is forming an exact conjunction to Mars in 21 degrees of Gemini in Rachel's chart, the chart of her, her season. The North Node tells the chart holder what they're destined toward in this life. It's not like your career, but it's like things that you're meant to do, legacy, change that you will be a part of. It's a hypothetical point in our chart. And it also has a corresponding point called the South Node. And this highlights the lessons we've learned in past lives or past experiences. If you don't really work with past lives, the South Node reflects what comes easily to us. It's stuff we've mastered, stuff we feel very comfortable with, sometimes stuff we, we got to stop doing. Seeing the North Node, this point in the 2002 chart, reflects where... The Bachelor needs to go, and it's aligning with Rachel Season's Mars placement is a really powerful combo. I know Mars is not the strongest in Gemini. Gemini is not super comfy in Mars, but it is Mars, so it's giving the North Node from 2002 a little boost of energy. It's getting them a little bit closer to being on that path. But Gemini also covers the theme of communications and relationships, and this node and Mars is talking about, well, where do we want to go? What do we want to do? What are the future aspirations? Well, that almost felt really nice. But before we get too comfortable with doing the bare minimum, I'm going to take a quick dysfunctional tangent here. And that is about former Bachelor contestants Jason Mesnick and Ari... Lad? I don't remember Ari's name. <laughs> this season's aired in 2010 and 2018, respectfully. And here's why we would even care. 
both of these guys end up getting married to the runner up from their season. Basically, America saw them get engaged on the finales of their season. And then during the wrap up show, okay, which is like two weeks later, if that, Jason and Ari both said, hey, this is awkward. I have feelings for the woman that I actually rejected at the final episode. Now, I, I felt like there had to be some cosmic connection. So I did some homework. I looked into the starting and ending dates of their season. I found the dates that they actually married the woman that they ended up with after the finale. I tried to find anything with patterns, with retrogrades, weird placements. I didn't see any consistencies. And part of this could be that Bachelor seasons air around the same time every year, right? So they always start in early January. That means they always end in mid-March. There's pretty much the same number of episodes and the same number of weeks. So there's a lot of overlap in what planets will be in what signs. And the time between shows airing and these couples getting married was less than two years for both of them. So there's not going to be a lot of planetary changes forming like really dynamic aspects. There are also enough seasons with planets in retrograde that it's incorrect to assume that something like, ooh, Mercury being in retrograde happened rarely enough that that's what made these seasons go haywire. But I did find something interesting about their seasons that I want to talk about, and that discussion is all about decans. If you've listened to previous episodes, then you know that decans, decans are words that we use for dividing each sign into three distinct subcategories. This is a very useful thing if you have astroskeptics in your life who think that we only work with sun signs. And they usually assume that all people who are born like in a month or so period that makes up a sun sign all have the same characteristics, which is really simplistic. And that's why no one does that. But decans divide each sun sign into three date ranges. So there's three sets of 10 days and 10 degrees. And these decans, the first decan will not have a sub ruler, but the second and third decans of each sign will. Each second decan will have the subruler of the next sign in that element. That's all really dense, so I'm going to break it down. Let's see. we're starting with the Gemini because we just talked about it. Gemini first decan, so degrees 0 through 10, is not going to have a co-subruler. But the second decan of Gemini is going to have be between, for anyone born between June 1st, June 11th, their Gemini placement is going to be somewhere between 10 and 20 degrees of Gemini. They're going to have a co-rulership with the planet Venus because the next air sign in the Zodiac is Libra and Venus rules Libra. It's Libra's ruling planet. So first decan got it, second decan got it. Gemini's third decan is going to be those who are born between June 12th, June 21st, and they are going to have their sun between 20 degrees and 30 degrees of Gemini. This next decan is going to be co-ruled by Uranus in modern astrology or Saturn if you're traditional because the next air sign after Libra is going to be Aquarius. This explains in part why May Geminis are different than June Geminis. And then those people are even different than Cusp Geminis. But it won't explain why Donald Trump and Mike Pence are terrible people. And that's because there are no bad signs, just bad people. You didn't need an aspiring astrologer to tell you that though. But in the case of The Bachelor, Jason is a Cancer Sun man, and his early July birthday means that he is a second Deacon Cancer. That means he is co-ruled by that Scorpio-Pluto energy. He originally picked another water sign, Melissa Rycroft, at the end of his season. Now, she is a second Deacon Pisces, and that means that her sign is co-ruled by Cancer and the moon. Maybe that's why Jason was feeling it. Cancer, the moon, he's a Cancer sun. Little cosmic marriage, you can Google it. But 
he ended up with Molly, who is a third deck in Pisces and has the same Pluto co-rulership as Jason. So maybe this co-rulership speaks to the idea that there are some shared values or a shared Pluto intensity. Second case, Ari is a Virgo, and he's a third deck in Virgo, meaning that he has the co-ruler of Taurus and Venus. Taurus is an earth sign. It's the next earth sign. I'm sorry, the not the next earth sign, the sign after that. And its ruling planet is Venus. Now, he originally picked Becca, who is a sun sign Aries, and she is a second deacon of Aries, meaning that she has a co-ruler of Leo and the sun. But eventually, Ari picked Lauren, who is a Scorpio, and is a third deck in Scorpio at that. And that means that she has the moon and Cancer as her ruler. So they're both third deck in people. Now, in this case, the leads in the show ended up with women who either shared the same co-rulership, Jason and Molly both have that co-rulership of Pluto, or in Ari and Lauren, they both have the same Deccan. So both of them are second Deccan people. Maybe this is something to think about with relationships of any kind in your own life. If you are into people who are the same element as you, so fire seeking fire or so on, it might be interesting to see if you like fire signs who are a different fire sign than you, but they have the same Deccan, so they have the same a different Deccan, so they have the same co-ruler, you might have similar personality traits and outlooks. And this tangent brings us up to this year. By the time this episode airs, we will be less than one week away from Claire's Bachelorette season airing on ABC. And at this point, we know Claire was chosen as the Bachelorette, and many, many reliable journalistic sources, like Glamour and People, claim that she left midseason and was replaced by Tasha, who appeared on Colton Underwood season. And now, considering Colton has a restraining order from the winner of his season, Cassie, and Lucy Hale, pretty little liar and star of the weirdest IUD commercial I have ever seen, isn't hiking with him anymore. I really feel like Tasha's moving up in the world. But before I get to Claire and Tasha, we got to talk about some other 2020 Bachelor news that dropped. And that was on June 12th, 2020, which is when ABC announced that the next Bachelor would be Matt James. Matt is going to be the first Black Bachelor in the show's history and arguably another step forward that should have happened a million years ago and is just happening now. But here is where it gets a little freaky. We talked about Rachel's chart and how her Mars was in 21 degrees of Gemini. And then we looked at ABC's North Node for The Bachelor, that 2002 chart, and that was in 21 degrees of Gemini. So please do not freak out because I definitely did that the sun was in 21 degrees of Gemini, that exact degree when they made this announcement about Matt. Like, it's easy. Representation is the goal, ABC. It is in the damn chart. Now, only time or Reality Steve's website will reveal what will happen on what could be the most dramatic season of The Bachelorette, or at least the only season to feature a woman in her late 30s. Because ageism. We know that filming began on July 8th of this year, and on that day, Mars was interestingly in 5 degrees of Aries, and that forms an exact conjunction to the 2002 birth chart sun sign, which is in 5 degree Aries. Now, as a general note, when Mars is conjunct your sun, Often people feel really energized, really passionate, really with it. They're getting that Mars boost of energy. This might be a situation, too, where Mars is in its home placement of Aries. So it's really strong. And it's working with the sun. So there's a lot of good things happening. Maybe so good that Claire found a match and in true, impulsive, fiery Mars and Aries fashion did not need to film the rest of this season. When you know, I guess you really know. I want to end this episode by saying a huge thank you to you, yes you, 
Okay, last week I had 100 listens, and as of this recording, I have over 125. I mean, wow. I confirmed with friend of a friend of the pod and resident mental math extraordinaire, my husband, that that is indeed over a 25% increase in listenership in one week. To say I am incredibly lucky to have your support is as much of an understatement as saying Hillary Duff's early 2000s blunt bangs shaped my entire persona because that fabulous fringe lives rent-free in my head in a penthouse suite. I am so lucky that I have wonderful people in five countries and 10 states in the United States who spend their time with me. If you are listening and you are new, thank you for joining. To all who come to this petty and magical place, welcome. I am so incredibly touched and grateful, and you should know that you mean a lot to me. Also, I got a revert review with actual words on it, and I am reading it right here and now. So please raise your glass or maybe just lift an ear pod to review our space glam. I sincerely hope and pray to the pop culture gods that you, Space Glam, are well. And I also hope that your name is a pun involving the era-defining film Space Jam. Thank you for saying that you love this pod. I love you, and I love your use of the heart emoji. If you, dear listener, have not left me a five-star review and would like to, I will read it on an episode. Unless you say something really terrible about someone who isn't me. I mean, I'm a Gemini. I've got being the scourge of the Zodiac down to a science. Remember, everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review so that our astro pop culture posse can expand. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or if you want to suggest a topic for a future episode, please let me know. You can email me at chartoffortune at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-R-T-O-F-F-O-R-T-U-N-E at gmail.com. Or come say hello on Instagram at Chart of Fortune. No spaces, underscores, anything else to trip you up. Okay, before I start crying from all of the love and betray my Virgo moon, bye bye